As we celebrate Memorial Day, it's natural for us to think about memorials. And so as I've been thinking about this day and what is a memorial, I mean, we have memorials all over the country, all over the nation. And every time you see a memorial, it's an opportunity for us to stop and to pause and to reflect. And so there's different types of memorials, but each time you see a memorial, it's it's to remember something that happened or someone or some person, something happened and people were involved at a specific place at a specific time. And that every time that you see it, you stop and pause and you reflect upon what happened and what those people that were involved in that situation, what was going on. And so memorials are a part of our nation. If you drive along even Texas highways very long, you'll see a spot that says, hey, stop here. There's a memorial. Something happened on this place at this place at a certain time on a certain day. And we stop and we pause and we reflect. The same is true today for our graduating seniors, as this is a, an opportunity for them and for their families to stop and to pause over the next few weeks, opportunities to, to celebrate the last of lasts, to think about, hey, this is a time for us to stop, to pause, reflect, and to think about how God has, and our parents and our grandparents and our Sunday school teachers and VBS leaders and all the different adults have invested in us and gotten us to this place. So that from this point, we can now launch into what God has next for us, whether that's college or TSTC or wherever God has us going, that this is a place to stop and pause and reflect and remember how we got to this place. As you think about memorials, there's even stories throughout Scripture of memorials. And I'm thinking about in Joshua chapter 3, where the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, have already left Egypt. They've gone from slavery, but... They weren't ready quite to enter into the promised land because of sin in the camp. And so because of that, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And now that generation is gone. And now their new leader, Joshua, is raised up. And God's told him, be strong and courageous because you are now the leader of this people into the promised land. And you never know what's going to be happening. And so as they begin that journey, the priests take the Ark of the Covenant. And the earlier generation had passed the Red Sea and crossed over from under dry ground from one place to the next for safety. And now here, the beginning of the new journey, Joshua tells the priests to take the Ark of the Covenant and stand on the edge of the waters of the Jordan River. And as they take that Ark and begin to walk into the river, the, the river parts and they walk on dry ground. And they stand in the middle of the Jordan River as thousands upon thousands of people walk across. What an amazing thing, right? And so as they get to the other side, as they're beginning to get to the other side, Joshua says, hey, this is a moment for us to memorialize this. We need to have a spot, something that allows us to stop and to pause and to reflect that the reason that we're enjoying the bounty, the reason that we're enjoying the promised land is because God has brought us from one side to the other side through dry ground and that every time that we see this memorial we can stop and pause for ourselves, but also for our children and our grandchildren and say, the reason this is here is because on this day, way back when, the Lord provided. That's the beauty of memorials. And so Joshua asked the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes to go grab a stone and put it over your shoulder. And in a specific spot, they built a memorial so that every time that they pass it for generation upon generation, that they would pass and they could be reminded of the fact that God provided, that God brought them out of wandering in the wilderness to the place 
of new life into the promised land. Same is true for us, that there's moments in life where we stop and pause and remember that God has brought us out of wilderness, has brought us out of slavery into a new life, and so we have memorials that are built. One of the memorials that we experience on a regular basis around here at Second Baptist is baptism. It's someone saying, hey, I have walked into a new life and a promised land, and I've walked out of slavery and, and wandering in a wilderness to a new life. And so baptism isn't salvation in itself, but it memorializes the fact that we have met Jesus and we're confessing that. And so through baptism, we memorialize that. And so sometimes I know a lot of times with younger people, that's one of the things that they remember most, that when the foundation of the faith gets shaky, they can go back to, we can go back to that moment of remembering the physical experience of baptism. Another thing that we do regularly around here is communion or Lord's Supper and that we memorialize or remember the fact that Jesus gave his life for us. And it's not a, a funeral. It's a somber moment, but it's not a, a funeral experience. As a matter of fact, it's a celebration of the fact that Jesus on the cross said it is finished and his sacrifice was sufficient for us. And so in reality, every time that we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, we take of the cup and eat of the bread. We're remembering and we're memorializing the fact that he gave his life for us and therefore the, we can have life and life to its full. So memorials are definitely a part of our regular day, but also our spiritual life. And this morning I want us to, so we kind of have a time of celebration and of remembering those who have given all for us. We also want to remember these graduates and think about and celebrate the memorial and the milestone that they're experiencing in this season. In Second Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's someone that he's invested in. Paul has invested a lot of time into Timothy and has given a lot of time and energy and, and has taught him and had him walk with him on missionary journeys and has been at his house and he knows his mom and his grandmother and he's invested a lot of time in this young man and this young man is a young pastor and so at this point as he's writing to Timothy, Paul is in prison and it's probably the end. He kind of senses this is the end of my life, this is the end of my journey, this is the end of, of ministry and life as I know it and so he's giving some last words, some words of wisdom to a young man who's launching out in life. And so he's talking about all the doctrine, all the truths that he's taught him, and he talks about all the teachings and all the things that you know and how you've built your life and ministry upon this foundation. And he talks about some several different things. And so in this last little part in Second Timothy chapter three that we're going to dig in today, he's talking to Timothy and to, and to young people and, and to us in particular and saying, look, here's what I want you to grasp about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the world that you live in. That persecution is going to be a part of life. That being a follower of Jesus means you're going to be swimming upstream against everyone else. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 12, here Paul digs in toward the end of his life and his journey. He says, Timothy, let me pull back the curtain just a little bit and let me share with you some things that I want you to grasp. Here's the last few things, my last words that I want to give to you as a young leader and a young pastor. In verse 12, it says this. In fact, thinking about all the different stuff that he's just talked about. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, that everyone that says, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And every time that you make a decision to follow Jesus and to stand for Jesus, you will be 
persecuted. You will, the light will be shined on you, and you will be considered a freak. You will be considered weird. You will be considered not the norm. And so that as a follower of Jesus, you are going to be persecuted. Every time you stand for Jesus, you will be persecuted. People will look at you differently. It is not one of the one of the things about Greek that's different from English is in English you can't have a double negative, right? All my English people, you can't have a not not, right? But in Greek, they have not nots. They have double negatives, and the double negative, what it does is actually it emphasizes the fact that it's an impossibility, okay, or it's not going to happen. And so one of the things that, that Paul continually talks about, it's a not not, and he's emphasizing the fact that it is not not going to be easy to be a follower of Jesus, especially on a college campus. I don't think it's easy on a high school campus or a junior high campus, but in particular on a college campus. Because as a matter of fact, probably most of the things about a college campus today are not only is that a atheist place. They're not pursuing or talking about Jesus and pursuing God. As a matter of fact, most of the things that you're going to come in contact with as a college student, they're anti-theist. And so as parents, yes, we want you to go to college and we're excited about the next opportunities for you. But as a matter of fact, we also know that we're sending you amongst the den of wolves and thieves and deceivers. And so that our hope is, our prayer is, our desire is, is that you enter into this next phase of life as that you are ready for it and that your foundation is solid because most of those that have influence and teaching and power and all those different things are going to be speaking things into your life that are against the very things that your parents and your pastors and your VBS workers and all these different people have been teaching you. And so you are going to be in chaos mode trying to decipher what's true and what's not, what's counterfeit and what's real. It is not not going to be easy going to college. And I'll just be honest, it's not not easy being a high school student. And even more so, I think more and more, it's not not easy being even a junior high student. And I think it's not not easy being a follower of Jesus even at the elementary school campus because we have these little things that we carry around with us, and, and, and they're fighting for all these different things. It is not, not easy to stand against the crowd and to swim upstream when everyone else is calling you weird or going against it. One of the things I shared with the first service where most of the students were in there, I said, your choices of your friends, the groups that you're involved in, and all the different choices that you make in your first semester will determine the direction of your personal life in college. That first semester determines so much of what your college life and experience and your friendships and all of that, what the fruit of your personal college life will be about. Those decisions are made in that first semester. So make those decisions slowly and cautiously and prayerfully to make sure that you don't join in a group that's a counterfeit Group, Because even going to a Christian college does not mean that you're going to be hanging around with Christians. As a matter of fact, Christians sometimes are the best pretenders of being followers of Jesus. Because they have the label of Christians but do not know Jesus. 
And so they've learned the game of behavior modification. And now that they're away, the behavior modification kind of goes away a little bit until Sunday morning, right? And so you've got to determine counterfeit and real, and it's hard. It's a not, not easy being a follower of Jesus. Verse 13, because there's going to be evildoers and imposters who will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That you're going to run into people who claim to know Jesus and before Jesus, and they're not. One of the things that the Secret Service and the FBI and the CIA and all those abbreviations people study is counterfeits. And how do they study a counterfeit? How do they know a counterfeit? Is that they know the authentic bills so well inside and out that they know it. They see the real deal, the real $100 bill, the real 20 They can look at it. They've studied it such to the point that when they see another bill that is not real, they can quickly see it because they've studied the real thing. They, they know a counterfeit because they know the real thing. And so my challenge for you is to know the real Jesus, is to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You're going to go out into the world and people are going to throw rules at you. They're going to throw regulations at you. They're going to throw, do you know this or do you do this? Or have you ever done this? Have you ever experienced this? And sometimes in the name of Jesus, sometimes in the name of fun, and you have to understand what is real and what is true and what is life-giving and what is counterfeit. There will be imposters. As a matter of fact, Satan comes as a person of light. Verse 14, but as for you, all of us, but especially young people, continue, hold on to with all you've got, remain in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. So here Paul is talking to Timothy and Paul knows his mom Eunice and knows his grandmother Lois. And what he's saying to him is in those moments where you're struggling and you're wanting to know the counterfeit and the real What does it look like for us to know that, hey, you have a foundation, run back to the foundation and place trust in that foundation when it feels like it's shaky ground. Begin to ask yourself the questions, do the people that gave me this foundation, do they love me and care about me and can I trust them? And to know that your youth worker, to know that your Sunday school teacher, to know that your mom and your dad and your grandparents and everyone that's invested in you and given of their time, the one thing that they want to give you, the most best gift that they can give you is the gift of Jesus Christ and salvation in him. So continue in that training just because of nothing else, the people that have invested in you have given it to you. That your parents have worked hard to give you guidance and at some level to help you and, and push you along the way and guide you along the way to the right path and the right way. If, if nothing else, think of it as a, a game of bowling and they've brought up the little bumpers and they want you to get along the way and get to the place. And they hope, every parent hopes and thinks that their child is perfect until they're like two weeks old and they know they're not perfect. But we still continue to fight the good fight. In Proverbs 22.6 it says, Train a child in the way that he should go. In other words, that each child is different. One of the things that most parents wish they had was a manual and say, hey, here's, here's your boy. This is the manual for your boy. And when your boy does this, you do A, B, and C, and then 
D will happen. We wish that would be, but there's always this constant learning and constant figuring out how do we raise and how do we direct and how do we rear and how do we guide, what bumpers and when do we need to put up the bumpers along the way so that our children will reach the destination, will find the right path for right living for themselves. Train a child in the way that they should go so that when they are older and elderly, they can look back on the memories and the memorials and see where their parents have guided them. Even this past week, I was talking with someone, and we're talking about how smart our parents are as we get older. That the older you get, the smarter your parents become. Y'all, y'all know that? Anyone that's over like 20-something, you, you're kind of at that place where you're like, you know what, my parents were crazy at some point. But then all of a sudden, a, f- a switch flipped, and you're like, hey, they actually have some pretty good ideas. And this is true, Proverbs 22.6, that there's going to be those moments along the way your kids are going to look at us, or grandkids are going to go, you guys are nuts. As a matter of fact, they, may, they even may think that we're against them when we're maybe the only people for them. But at some point, they'll look back and say, My parents have trained me up the best that they could possibly do. It's not perfect, but they set me on a path to rightness so that I would experience less shame, that I would experience less pain, that I would experience less regret, that I would experience, would not experience some of the stuff that my parents experienced and my grandparents experienced, and I don't have to walk around with the baggage and the stuff that they do. Your mom and your dad and your grandparents love you and want the best for you. Verse 15. So how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Even here in the nursery, there's one-year-olds and two-year-olds and three-year-olds that are already learning the Scripture. They're coloring pictures and the Scripture is being read over them. They're being taught a lesson. And there's going to be kids here Soon through VBS, they're going to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That through our WANA program, there's kids that are learning Scripture. And, and you're, these, things, these things begin to soak in and begin to, to marinate in you. That the more that you hear the Scripture, the more that you're taught it, the more that it comes into your brain and your heart, and you have all these experiences, you begin to, to, to understand them and they begin to marinate within you. And so here Paul is telling Timothy, from your infancy, your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois and myself and others have come alongside and they have bathed you in and washed you in and poured into you the word of God from infancy so that when life happens, the thing that oozes out of you is God's word. That you lean on that because it is the thing that is able to make you wise. As we get older, the more we learn, the more we realize that we don't know. The more we know, the more we read, the more we study, the more things that we gain knowledge through. Yes, we gain more knowledge, but we also realize that there's so much more knowledge that we'll never be able to to put into this brain, these brains of ours. But the one thing that we can understand at, at a minimal level is the wisdom of God in pursuit of him and salvation. And that that is the thing that sets the foundation, that we may not know everything, but we can be the wisest of people if we pursue Jesus and live life in light of his wisdom. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 6.4, one of the things that parents are doing is along the way, everywhere we go and everything we do, we're trying to, to train up our children and to soak up with them opportunities to teach them God's word and how they can love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. There's no better gift 
I know this is not good English. There's no better gift than the gift of Jesus Christ. There's no better gift that a parent or a grandparent can give their child than the gift of Jesus Christ and the wisdom that comes from the salvation of him. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, every time we open up God's word, God's breath literally breathes out. It's living and dynamic, and it's useful for these things, teaching. So the sound doctrine of life, that we know these things, these things kind of set us again on that path. Scripture that is God-breathed is useful for teaching and rebuking. That This idea that a conviction that leads to change. That as we're reading God's word, that we're in fellowship with other believers, that we're walking in this direction and rebuking comes from God's word and it stops us and it pauses us and literally leads us to a change. That's the idea of rebuking. The other idea that Paul talks about is it's useful for teaching and rebuking, but also for correcting. It's this moment of setting right. It's this idea of putting things in a right state. That there's a, a time as a parent or a grandparent or an adult that we come along some, some, beside someone and we put our arm around them. And we say, hey, I know you're doing this, but this is maybe the right way to do it. Or here's a better way to do it. Or here's a way to rethink this and put things in a right frame for them. Then also, God's word is useful for training. It's this idea of a system of discipline. Literally doing the grind of life that we do the day in and the day out, the baby steps. We do the things of life so that in the end, a long obedience in the same direction leads us to look and act and think a little bit more and a lot more like Jesus. Because here's the thing that I know as a college student, as a young adult, the, the greatest thing about getting away from college and getting away from home is I'm now the one that's the lead discipliner of my life. And that's exciting because no one's going to check to see if I go to class. I got a whole semester where nobody's going to check. You know when they're going to check? Whenever I get an F and it gets in the mail and my parents look at it and open it up and go, hey, how many times did you go to class? And I was like, I was there every day. And they're like, well, then you are really not working hard because you got an F. Discipline of life. For us, every single day, taking the baby steps. As an adult, this is part of the things that that we know and understand. And the things that we're passionate about, it's easy to do. But there's things in life that we're not passionate about, but we still have to do the discipline of moving forward along the right path. Verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's what I want to tell you. Every single person in this room is unique, is unique. There's not a mold for you. You are it. There may be some that are similar to you or kind of like you, but you are it. God has designed you, created you, and has a unique plan for you. And so all of these things that God, all these people have invested in you, so as you begin to launch out into life, no one else can do exactly what you can do. And so pursue that. Find your identity in Christ. Find your purpose in Christ. Find your belonging in him. And then through that, you will find the fulfillment of life that you're looking and wanting. That the greatest place, the most awesome place, the place that will bring you the most pleasure is the place where you are uniquely you doing what only God has designed you to do. 
pursue it with all of your heart, with all of your passion. Even if it means swimming upstream against everyone else, you're going to have to work hard to get there. But God has a unique plan and gift for you. Today we remember those that have given all so that we can gather here, so that we can celebrate what today over the past 18 years this group were able to do that without any worries or fears. We're truly free. And we're also here to challenge ourselves as older people, but even as young people to challenge to understand that the path ahead of us may not always be easy. As a matter of fact, it may be difficult, but to pursue that path, because that's the path that you'll find the greatest pleasure and the greatest life. But also I want you to hear that I'm warning you that it will not not be easy to follow Jesus. It will not not be easy to follow Jesus, but that you have the tools, you have God's word, and you have the community around you, your parents, you have others around you, that in that moment where you're asking the question, is it worth it to continue on the path of following Jesus, you have people to call. You have the red phone, you have the bat phone, you have whatever you want to call it, you have the Snapchat. You can do whatever you need to do to find those and run to those who can convince you and help you and say, yes, it's worth staying on the path. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, we do thank you for the freedom that we have the freedom that we have in Christ, but also the unique freedom that we have here as citizens of the United States. And to know that there have been many that have laid down and have given the greatest gift they can give so that we can experience this freedom. And Father, as a follower of Jesus, it reminds us of the greatest gift in you that you laid down your life so that we could experience freedom as well. Freedom from sin, freedom from worry, freedom from anxiety, freedom from all the things that weigh us down. Father, that your death was sufficient for all of that. Father, today we just pause, take a moment and memorialize those things and also pause and celebrate the launching of many young adults into what we would say is the world and the world that is against them the world that is not for them as followers of Jesus so Father we pray that we pray over them pray a special anointing and a special blessing. Father, that over this group and these groups that you give us the privilege of working with and and seeing grow over the next 18 years. Father, may we wake up in 20 to 25 to 30 years and say this is the greatest generation. This is the group that fought the great fights 
that fought the toughest of wars and gave and sacrificed much for the battles. And some will be earthly battles, but Father, even more than that, the spiritual battles that, Father, that need to be won in our nation and in our world so that one more may come to know the greatest gift in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I know that many of these young people, their desire is to live for you and are trying to seek that out and to know that and understand it and to own it. So, Father, I pray that they would understand, as we would even as older adults, we would understand that our identity is in you, that our place of belonging is with you and with your community, and that our purpose and our meaning is serving and seeking helping one more know you so that they can find their purpose, they can find their meaning, and they can find their place of belonging. May you be raised up. May you be made famous through this generation. It's in your son's name that we pray.